thank you. You so, so gracious. You can be seated. I want to welcome everybody again online. So glad you're joining us. It is so good to be back in my home state. I am a Californian. I was born in Marin County, just north of San Francisco. Uh, graduated high school in Sonoma County. And uh, so just good to be back home in my beautiful home state of California. And it's such an honor to be with Pastor Richard and Nancy. Um, he didn't say it, uh, but it's his birthday today. Yes, 59 years old again, 59 years old again. I'm telling you, your pastor just doesn't age. 18 years ago when I was here, um, he looks younger. I'm older, I got gray hair, and he's lost weight. I've gained weight, stress eating as a pastor. And uh, anyway, I'm just so excited to be back here. Such an incredible church. I just love the name, New Harvest. Uh, when Pastor had called me and just said, hey, we're doing a missions conference. We're passionate about evangelism. I just said, oh, I, I would just love to be a part. And I, I just love winning souls. Uh, 18 years ago, actually 17 years ago when we launched Element Church, that was really the heartbeat and the vision of the church was reaching people who didn't like God or didn't like church and we just go, we're, we're going to reach a bunch of lost people. And by the grace of God, just in 17 years, we've reached over 15,000 people for Jesus Christ that have made decisions for Jesus Christ. Last year alone, we saw 1,800 decisions for Jesus Christ. Just this year alone, we're over 1,100 decisions for Jesus Christ. And so I just give God the glory. And here's what I have learned. God does things in spite of us more than because of us. Why? Because he gets all the glory. People come in and they, they hear me speak and they listen to me talk and they go, that's gotta be Jesus because he's not very impressive. And uh, so anyway, I'm just excited to be here talking about evangelism. And speaking of evangelism, you can't talk about evangelism without talking about, I think, the greatest evangelist since the Apostle Paul, and that is the great Billy Graham, late great Billy Graham. And uh, in fact, uh, there's a story about Billy Graham one time coming home from a long trip back to his home state of North Carolina. He gets in, into uh, the airport, walks out. There's a limo there to pick up the exhausted Billy Graham, take him back to his home. And he sits back in the limo and he thinks to himself, you know what, I'm Billy Graham. You know, I'm 70-something years old and I've never driven a limo. I'm going to drive the limo. So he says to the limo driver, hey, uh, get in the back. I know the way home. You just relax. I'm going to drive. So Billy Graham's driving the limo. The speed limit's 55. He's going 70. So he's just going down the freeway. Well, a police officer, a rookie police officer on his motorcycle sees this limo going by 70 in a 55. So he, you know, obviously goes after the limo, turns on the lights. The limo pulls over. He gets off of his motorcycle, and he starts walking up to the limo. And, and as the window comes down, he sees it's Billy Graham. Well, he just turns right back around. He walks over to his motorcycle and he picks up the, the CB and he calls his sergeant. And he goes, Sarge, I, I got a problem. And, and the sergeant goes, well, what is it? And he goes, well, you know how sometimes when we pull over very important people, we'll kind of extend to them some grace and some courtesy. He goes, yeah, well, who'd you pull over? And, and he goes, well, I just pulled over some very, somebody very, very important. And he goes, well, like, who'd you pull over, like the governor? And he goes, no, somebody a lot more important than the governor. Who'd you pull over, the president? No, somebody a lot more important than the president. He goes, well, who did you pull over? He goes, well, I think I just pulled over Jesus because Billy Graham's driving the limo. <laughs> That's funny. All right, Acts chapter 6. We're talking about church growth in terms of reaching people, reaching harvest. You know, and unfortunately today, when you mention the word church growth, there's a lot of people that may put a negative stigma or a negative connotation to that because unfortunately in some ways it has been abused. But you can't talk about souls in harvest and not have the byproduct of church growth. And what we're going to look at is because this is a soul-winning church, this is a mission-minded church, what you're going to have are souls coming in and the byproduct is going to be growth. If you don't like growth, you're not going to like heaven because it's a really big place. And unfortunately, I've dealt with this over the years in past, as a pastor, just small-minded people. Well, you know, pastor, we're not into numbers. I go, God's into numbers. He wrote a whole book called Numbers. 
Every soul, every number has a name. Every number is somebody that Jesus knows that died for, bled for, rose from the dead for, that's got a plan and a purpose for. You better be in the numbers because God's in the numbers because they're eternal souls. And as this church grows in its mission, as this church is reaching the lost people, there are some mindsets that we have to have in order to be prepared for the harvest that God is bringing in. Because if we aren't prepared, we'll miss the harvest. Acts chapter six, verse one, it's a growing church. I'm gonna give you a little backstory, a little context to God's mathematical formula for church growth. What we see is on the day of Pentecost, on Acts chapter two, Peter gets up and he preaches a powerful sermon and the Bible says that 3,000 were added to the church that day. Right, so there's several thousand people added. If we just preach, there's gonna be addition. We're gonna see another step in God's formula. Do you know that God also uses another formula in church growth called subtraction? Because you go to a few chapters over, you read about a couple called Ananias and Sapphira. And they lied to God regarding the subject of money. And because they lied, the Bible says that they fell down dead. What did God do? God subtracted. And he had the youth group come in and pick up the dead people and take them out. You want revival in your youth group? Just have them carry a few dead people and they go, what happened? They lied to God. You'll have repentance, you'll have revival. So what's interesting is that on the day of Pentecost, when the Holy Spirit was poured out upon the church, as Peter preaches, 3,000 were added. Why the number 3,000? Well, you go over to the Old Testament, when the law was given, 3,000 died on the day that the law was given. The day the Spirit was given, 3,000 come to Christ. Why? Because Paul said it, the letter of the law kills, but the Spirit gives life. You want, and what I love about this church is you preach God and you preach the life-giving words of God. God and the Spirit of God without compromise, and God is going to continue to add to this church. But along the way, there are also times subtraction happens, and that's okay, and we can't be stressed about it. But now we come into Acts chapter 6, and, and uh, let me just stop here just for one second. It's not in my notes, but this is going to be free, and Pastor, you're going to thank me later for this. In the years in the history of Element Church, there are things that as we grew, we had to make changes and subtract it different things. When we launched the church, uh, we launched with free donuts and free coffee, free Krispy Kreme donuts. Can we just have a moment to thank Jesus for the holiness of the heavenly Krispy Kremes? Mm. Thank you, Jesus. Am I right? Yeah. Well, there came a point that we couldn't sustain that financially. We were doing a financial analysis, and here's what we realized. We had grown to the point where we had, we were spending as much as a full-time salary on Krispy Kreme donuts. So we made a decision. Krispy Kreme donuts, or let's hire another staff member that's gonna help develop and raise up leaders and pastor people. We said, we're gonna stop the donuts, we're gonna charge, and then we're going to hire somebody. Do you know I had people leave our church because we subtracted free Krispy Kreme? Look, if it's a Krispy Kreme donut that your, hinge, your, your whole commitment to Jesus and your church hangs on a Krispy Kreme donut, I'm just saying don't miss the rapture because you won't be ready for the tribulation. If, if it's a Krispy Kreme donut that keeps you walking with Jesus. And there are just going to be times that your church will subtract certain things that, well, pastor, we always did it this way. Yeah, but if you do what you've always done, you're going to get what you've always had. Well, your history is his story, but God's still writing his story, and it's not found in your past because God's wanting to write a better future. And so there are just certain times. God's gonna change some certain things. Pastor's gonna go, hey guys, we're launching a new ministry. Maybe we're gonna modify this. Maybe we're not doing that anymore. And as a church, you need to be able to say, let's go. The best tasting burgers are sacred cows. Acts chapter six. Now we're gonna focus on this subject because when a church grows and God is adding to the church, Here's what you're going to find, and it was found in the New Testament church. We, I, I, people all the time, they come in, oh, pastor, we just want to be like the early church. And I go, uh, 
It's not as cool as you think it is laying around lighting candles in your little bare feet getting deep because there's some things here we need to pay attention to. Acts chapter 6 verse 1. Now in those days when the number of disciples was multiplying, there arose a complaint against the Hebrews by the Hellenists because their widows were neglected in the daily distribution. Here's what you got to understand. As God is adding to this church, it's going to just create more problems. I'm going to say it again. As God is adding to this church, do you know what it's going to do? It's going to create more problems. It's going to create new problems, and there's going to be complaints that arise. Now, the context to this were the Hellenists were Jews who adopted Greek culture, then there was the pure Jews who lived according to the Mosaic side of Judaism, and they thought they were more superior than to the compromising Hellenists who still had secular music that they were listening to, even though they were still going to church and you know, things like that still happen today, right? In church. There's going to be problems that arise. Uh, before I knew the, the, the theme of this message, uh, a pastor just said, hey, it's going to be a missions conference. It's going to be an evangelism conference. And I was like, great. And as I was praying for what to share and to speak, here's what God put into my heart, and it was this. In order for us to continue to go where God is wanting to take us, one of the number one things that has to happen is a mindset, mindset shift. I didn't even know mindset was in the thing, and that was my point. And I'm sitting here looking at this going, wow, that's my whole point, that we're going to have to have a mindset shift when it comes to this thing called problems. Because when you're reaching people who don't know Jesus, unchurched, de-churched, they're going to just simply bring their problems with them. When I was uh, launching Element Church, we were in our second year and uh, by God's grace, we had a couple hundred people coming and good things were happening. But every Monday after I preached, there were just the people who felt their ministry was to critique every sermon I ever preached. Like, that was their spiritual calling. I've searched my Bible, and that is not a spiritual ministry gift called pointer. I haven't found the gift of pointing in the Bible. But they felt that was their ministry. And I'll be honest, I was just exhausted. I was tired. I, have any of you ever argued and complained with God besides me? I, I was complaining to God. I go, God, I know you're, you're like perfect and you're a genius and everything, but I have a problem with you calling your people sheep. I don't get it. I don't understand it. They're not sheep. I look at sheep and they're cute and they're fluffy. They seem docile. Now, goats, I get because they bite shepherds. I get that. But when was the last time you ever opened up a newspaper reading shepherd killed by sheep? Shepherd devoured by six sheep. You, you don't ever read that, but I go, God, they're devouring me. Now, God did remind me that there are wolves in sheep's clothing, and wolves do like to eat shepherds, just a thought. But I was complaining to God. I was like, God, I'm just sick and tired. I go, God, here's what I would have wrote in the Bible. I would have called your people cats. Why? Because like, I feel like I'm trying to herd cats who are on catnip. Like, Lord, this is impossible. Now, dog, that's what we should have called your people were dogs because man's best friend. No matter how bad my sermon is, I come home, my dog just thinks I'm the greatest thing on the planet. No matter what I do. I had a dog one time that, would, that got into my chickens as a kid and he would kill chickens. Well, you can't keep a dog that kills chickens. But I didn't want to put him to the pound because I know they'd put him to sleep. So we drove six miles out into the middle of nowhere country, Sonoma County. And we open up the door. We let my little dog out. I drive away, and my dog's just sitting there in the road. <laughs> Love you, man. I'll be right here waiting for you. True story. Three days later, I hear scratching at my front door. Six miles from my house, he didn't see where we were going. He shows up, scratches on my door. I open it, and there he is. He jumps in the house, loves on me, like, I missed you. That's what Christians should be like. But let me tell you something. You put me in a car and drive me out in the middle of nowhere, and you drop me off, oh, I'll be scratching at your door. 
I will find you. I have a certain set of skills, and I will find you. And when you open that door, I'm going to be wearing a hockey mask, holding a chainsaw, and it won't be the love of Jesus. <laughs> I, I, I think God's people should have been likened unto dogs, not cats. See, if you could get into a dog's mind, this is what you would hear them say. You love me. You feed me. You care for me. You must be God. If you could get into a cat's mind, here's what you're going to hear. You love me. You feed me. You care for me. I must be God. <laughs> for all the cat lovers I offended, go ahead and email me at idontcare.com. <laughs> all right. So what we see is that the church is growing, revival's breaking out, and there's a group of people that get neglected, they're getting overlooked, things are falling through the cracks, there's a complaint. So I was complaining to God about the complainers, and God taught me something. He said, Eric, not every complaint in your church is from a complainer. Because this was a legitimate problem. Church growth will bring legitimate problems. Not every person who sees a problem is the problem. And what I was doing is I was attaching my personal identity, my personal sense of security to people's feedback. And so somebody would give a problem, somebody would give me an email, and rather than actually looking for the kernel of truth and what they said, I would get offended and I would get defensive because I took it personal. I would confuse the who I am in Christ with what I do for Christ, and as a result, I would get defensive. Look, as people and leaders in the body of Christ, there are just gonna be times your leader sees things falling through the crack inside of your life. There's going to be times your leader sees areas that they're to pastor, that they're to coach, that they're to pour into, and be open to let your leaders and your friends and your loved ones speak inside of your life. Because, look, as God is growing you, there's going to be cracks that show up inside of our life because growth will reveal those things. Husbands, ladies, if you like this, go ahead and send an offering to your church. Text to give. Not every wife that nags is a nag. Let's say that again. Now, husband, if you're smart, this was where you amen. Amen, that good. Nobody will know we're talking about you right now. Not every wife that nags is a nag. What if you just stop and go, hey, what is the truth? And what my wife is trying to tell me that I haven't been listening to because God sent her into your life to be a helpmate. Not an ag leader, a helpmate. A wise man, a wise woman learns to listen to even the constructive criticism. And as this church is growing and as God is adding to this church, there's going to be actual problems that manifest and surface. But that's a good thing. Hey, you want a scary church, a church that has no problems because they've either done nothing for Jesus and they're not a threat to hell and they haven't won one lost person to Christ since Noah's Ark or they've buried all the problems and that's even scarier because a growing church simply consists of many growing problems. Acts chapter 6, verse 2. So here's what the disciples, the apostles did. Then the apostles the 12 summoned the multitude of the disciples and said, it is not desirable that we should leave the word of God and serve tables. Therefore, brethren, seek out from among you seven men of good reputation, full of the Holy Spirit and wisdom, whom we may appoint over this business, but we'll give ourselves continually to prayer and the ministry of the word. Then the word of God spread and the number of disciples multiplied in Jerusalem. What we see here is Satan also has a formula for church degrowth, and it's called division. Up here in Acts chapter 6, there was a problem, and what began to happen? Division began to come into the church. But they dealt with it, and they raised up leaders. They delegated the leaders, and then what happens? The number of disciples multiplied. 
We talked about volunteering and the importance of volunteers in, in, in my session this morning. And uh, I, I was thinking through the staff that I have. I have 40-something full-time staff at Element Church. And I was thinking through the staff that we have. And I realized uh, of my 12, 13 key department leaders, uh, six of them all started years ago as volunteers. My execu- one of my executive pastors who sits with me at my Tuesday executive team table, who's over our business, over campuses, uh, when we launched the church, he started as a volunteer bass player. And he just volunteered his way into ultimately a staff position, and now he sits with me helping direct some of the most important parts of our church. And he just started as a volunteer. And what we see inside of the story of these seven men that God chose, we see God use them in a powerful way. We see Stephen, who preached a powerful sermon, who was one of the first martyrs. Then we see Philip go on to become the great evangelist. We'll talk about him here in a second. I think of my worship pastor, Rachel. She started as a volunteer 11 years ago, and now she's full-time leading our worship team. My youth pastor started as a college kid with a truckload of issues, and now he's my, my youth pastor, and our youth group's the largest it's ever been, and, and we're, we're seeing souls won every, single cry, every week to Christ, and, and 50% of our youth group, their parents don't go to church. And he just started as a volunteer. My kids pastor started as a volunteer in kids ministry, and he's full-time on staff now as a kids pastor. My community outreach director started as a volunteer, just going, hey, I want to help lead outreaches in the community, and worked herself into a job. My uh, staff member, my pastor that's over our volunteer track, she just started as a volunteer, wanting to help volunteers, and here she is. Six of my key staff just started volunteering because there were problems that they saw and they said, I'll be your huckleberry, I'll be part of the solution. One of the number one things that we need to shift in our mindset is this. The problems that your church will experience because God is adding and God is multiplying, the mindset should be this. You have a job because we have problems. Over the years, one of the greatest challenges I have had are staff who complain about all the problems we have. Oh, Pastor, we just got all these problems over here, and we got this problem over here. We got, I go, that's why you got a job. The day we run out of problems, you got a problem, and that is you need a job. As long as we keep winning souls and reaching people and building the kingdom, they bring their problems, you got a job. We stop doing that, you got a big old problem. Quit complaining about the thing that got you a job. Quit complaining about the thing that gave you an opportunity to be used in the kingdom of God. I just want to share an insight and a newsflash that's going to shock you. Your pastor, we haven't talked about this, but I know your pastor because I'm a pastor, and every pastor I've ever met, this is what we know. We know more about what's wrong with our church than anyone else in our church. I, I never have anybody come up to me and go, oh, pastor, do you know? And I go, hey, man, you think you got a list? Look at mine. And they run. Because I know way more about what's wrong. All right, we're going to talk about problems. Is that okay? Because your church is going to have a lot more problems ahead. And that's a good thing. When you reach unchurched, dechurched people, they just bring their problems. We know a church is a hospital, right? And you know what they're in a hospital? Sick people. And I'm amazed at how many Christians get offended at all the sick people in our church. Oh, pastor, I was walking through the hallway there, and man, I know I just smelt marijuana. Somebody in there, they had been smoking Mary Jane before they came in here, pastor. I know that person, man, they just smelt like reeking of alcohol. And I go, praise God! But it offends certain religious people. I had, I had this guy come up to me one time. He was an ex-ranger, army ranger, and he was in Mogadishu. He was attached to a Delta team. Like the movie, like, that was like him. He's in there, right? Like he wasn't in the movie. They made the movie of him in the movie. But they couldn't put everything he actually did in the movie. And he came up to me one day and he goes, hey! I want to let you know this is a blankety blank, 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 cool church, and you're like one of the blankettest cool pastors I ever met. Now, 
I could just feel the religious spirits and people going, oh my gosh, they just defiled the house of God. And I go, no, this is awesome. That was like one of the greatest compliments I ever had. <laughs> so he goes, I got a bunch of questions. And I go, hey, let's meet at a Starbucks. So I met him at a Starbucks. Every other word was blank this, blank that, blankety blank, blank. I didn't freak out. I just go, you know, I just answered his questions. And I got to lead him to Christ. So he, he told me this story later. Yeah. So he told me this story later. He, he, he goes home and, and, and his wife goes, hey, baby, where you been? He goes, I was with that blankety blank pastor and he is blank and cool. She goes, oh, no, we're going to have to change churches. You wrecked it for us. Fortunately, he didn't have to, and God did some amazing things in his life. Church belongs for sick people. But what we have is this mentality of, like, could you imagine going to the doctor going, okay, get better, and then come see me. But that's what church does. You, you get your life all cleaned up. You get rid of those holiness problems, lack of holiness issues, and then you come to us. No, we exist for you. But... <laughs> Sick people bleed on your carpet. They call you names when you're trying to give them shots. You know what's interesting inside of the church mentality, and uh, every two years I'll preach a message just on the church as a hospital, and I'll go through like seven things that people, if you paralleled your Christian walk to a church, you, you treat church hospitals way better than you do your church, even though the church is a hospital. Like people do this all the time. Man, that church doesn't love me, and they don't care for me, and... You know, they just, they, they just weren't there for me. And I'll go, well, what do you mean? Well, I went through a crisis and nobody called me. I go, no, okay, hang on. If you're in your home and you hurt yourself, do you lay on the floor going, that hospital doesn't care about me? I mean, like, if they cared about me, they would have sent an ambulance to pick me up. No, you call 911. How is it? Like common sense says, you call 911 and ask for an ambulance to pick you up. But you get offended when you go through a crisis and you hadn't been in your small group for three months, by the way, and nobody knows what you're going through and you're offended that your church wasn't there for you. Nobody do. <laughs> How about this one? Man, the church just wants your money. We don't even charge. From the cradle to the grave, marry you, bury you, lie about good things you, about you over your funeral, make up stuff that wasn't really real. Talk about how awesome you could have been, but in present tense, and you never gave a dime. You don't hear people going, man, them hospitals, all they want is your money. I ain't going back to them. Man, I was there for three months and they sent me a bill. But we get offended when somebody wants to take up an offering in church. That, that's just a good sermon, but I don't have time to preach it. And in my notes, I thought I'd just throw it out there. All I'm simply trying to say is when you reach unchurched, dechurched people, they come into this hospital. Do you know the word hospitality is rooted, uh, the word hospital is rooted inside of hospitality. As you're giving the, and this is one of the most hospitable churches in, a, in the world. Love this place. If I ever feel bad about myself, I'm just going to get on a plane, walk through your door just to feel loved, and then get back on a plane to fly back because, like, you guys are the best. You and your Delta Force security team. It, it's incredible. Love you guys. <laughs> Seriously, best. <laughs> and, you know, sometimes these problems that we call problems have names. <laughs> have you found that out? We call them problems, but actually they're people with a name. But you know that problem, that person, might actually be your ministry. I, years ago, back at 180, um, you know, we had 3,000 kids at the pinnacle of 180. And there was this girl, her name was Maggie. Maggie, Maggie was, she was, God bless Maggie. <laughs> So, like, everywhere I would go on Wednesday night, like, I'd want to go talk to kids, you know, and high-five leaders, and I would turn around, and, like, everywhere I went, Maggie was, like, here. You know that person who has no concept of personal space? She's here. 
she's up in my face, and she has this perpetual blank stare. And I go, hi, Maggie. Hey, Pastor Eric. And I go, how are you doing? Great. Did you want to say anything? No. There was no, I never had a conversation with Maggie. And this went on week after week. Like, I'm trying to go have ministry conversations. I'm trying to share Jesus. Bring people the living water. <laughs> Maggie. I'm like, one day I was praying. I was like, Lord, should I get a restraining order? I mean, like, what? My security team was like, Pastor, you want us to deal with this? You know? I don't know what to do. So I was complaining to God. And God brought me this, 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 this thought. He said, Eric, it's easy to love the captain of the football team because they're going to bring a bunch of kids. It's, easier, it's easy to love those cool kids. But as you've done it unto the least of these, you've done it unto me. I've given you a gift called Maggie. <laughs> sure. He goes, yeah. And he said, here's why. I've allowed Maggie to be in your life because you know how much you love me by how much you love her. You don't love me and you don't treat me any better than you treat her. She was a gift. And you know what, that changed the way that I saw her. She was no longer a bother, she was no longer a problem. Every time she was <laughs> I go, that's Jesus. Staring at me with a blank look. <laughs> she became a ministry. And you know, some of these people that come through the doors of your church, they may feel like the problems, but you know what? They really just might be your ministry. All right. So back to my staff. We have a saying that <laughs> we stole it or something, but made it our own, and it's this. The church loves you for free, but pays you to solve problems. Now, if you have a job and your boss pays you, it's the same thing. They pay you to solve problems. So let's just talk about the value of the problems that you see inside of church, inside of your company, inside of wherever it is that God has placed you. Your pay is in direct proportion to the size of the problems that you solve. We have a problem today in culture, and it's this. I've been at this job for two years. I deserve a raise. No, some people deserve to get fired after two years because you look the same, act the same, and you haven't improved and done anything different than when you got here. You shouldn't make more money because you still have a pulse. Like, there should be way more qualifier for a raise than a pulse. Your pay is in direct proportion to the size of the problem that you solve. You want more money? It's really simple. Find the biggest problem your boss has, put a dollar sign to it, and solve that. You remember David, young David? King Saul had a problem. He had a Goliath problem. Goliath came out every morning and every day, stood in the land of Judah, which is praised because he's a type of Satan, and if Satan can steal your praise, he can always steal your power. So Satan always starts there, tries to steal your praise because he can steal your power. But David came from Bethlehem, which in the Hebrew means house of bread, because when you are in God's house and you're in his word, you come to the problem with an entirely fresh perspective. When you spend your life for 40 days listening to your problem defy your God, and you let it continue to talk, it's going to defeat you just like it defeated Israel. But David came from God's house. He had a fresh perspective. And he sees this problem and he goes, what will be done for the man who removes this reproach from Israel? And so they said, you're gonna get the king's daughter. He goes, there's a babe involved, I'm in. And there's a bunch of money. David solved the biggest problem the king had, therefore he got the biggest bonus and the biggest paycheck because he solved the biggest problem nobody else could have. Look, if you wanna get promoted in your job, you wanna get promoted in ministry, you believe you have a gift, you believe you're God's man, God's woman for the hour, and you're just praying that pastor would just see the calling and the anointing on my life. 
Why can't the man of God see that I'm called? Here's how they're going to see it. Get out a slingshot and go kill Goliath. Well, I'm throwing rocks. Yeah, at the pastor, at the church, via prayer requests on your social media account. That's not killing Goliath. Look, almost every believer's got rock in their hands, but most of them are throwing them at one another rather than throwing them at the actual enemy in the giants. Look, you want a promotion? Just go, what are the biggest problems we got in our church? I'm your huckleberry. I'm here to help solve it. If God allows you to see it, it might be because God has allowed you to be part of the solution to help solve it. So David used this very same strategy within his own team. 2 Samuel chapter 5, uh, David wanted to take the city Jerusalem and make that his capital. So David said on that day, whoever climbs up by the way of the water shaft, that is Hebrew for a, uh, it's, it's very clean, it's, it's very safe sounding word for sewer. Sewer. Now I'm not gonna go into any descriptive details but I have a feeling you can figure out what's in the sewer. So David says, whoever climbs up by the way, the sewer, and defeats the Jebusites shall be the chief and captain. So let me paraphrase. David says, whoever takes the city and goes through all the stuff in the sewer to take the city, that's the one that's going to be the captain of my army. So Joab goes in the sewer, through the stuff in the sewer, pops up, and takes the city. Look, those that God promotes in his kingdom are the ones willing to go through all the stuff in the sewer to pop up and take a city. It's easy and it's safe at a great conference like this to go, woo, praise God, we're about to harvest, we're gonna take this city. Yes, but you're not gonna take the city without a sewer system, you're probably gonna go through to take it. You're gonna go through stuff. There's going to be problems. And you can complain about it. You can post about it. You can leave the church about it. Or you can go, I'm your huckleberry. God sent me here just like he sent David to be part of the solution. If we prayed about the problem as much as we posted about the problem, we wouldn't have a problem. Problems are the pathway for your promotion. And problems ultimately are going to test your calling. I've met many career pastors, career pastoral staff. I've had career staff members that it was a career for them, not a calling. Now, as Christians, you don't have careers. Do you know that? Every one of you have a calling. Do you know the word career in the French? Is, it's from the French root word. It literally means push a cart in circles. You don't want a career. Do you, if you have a career, do you ever go, man, I just feel like I'm going in circles. I feel like I'm going nowhere. I just feel like I got the same view over and over and over. Why? Because you got a career. Get up your career and receive God's calling. If you're a doctor, you're in the medical industry, that's not a career, that's a calling. You're to be a light there. That's part of a mission field. If you're in the education system, God bless you, that is a mission field of the densest jungles today, but that's a calling. Wherever you're at, it's a calling. And the moment it moves from a career and it moves to a calling from God, whether you're paid ministry or your volunteer ministry, whatever it is, it now becomes a different payday that you live for. When it's a career, you live for payday. When it's a calling, you live for judgment day. And a payday can only motivate you so long and so far. But when you live for the day that you'll stand before the reward seat of Jesus Christ, the Bama seat to hear him say, well done, good and faithful servant, you'll endure things you would have never endured. I'll be honest. There's not enough money in the world to pay me what I do. I, I, I would not be a pastor for any amount of pay, but I would do it for free. If it was a career and I did it because of a payday, 
I would have been gone a long time ago because I could have made a whole lot more money with a whole lot less headaches doing something else. And I, I, your pastor is a genius, and he, 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 he could have been on a cover of Billionaire magazine. It's a calling. Calling. Same thing for you when it's a calling. I remember, I'm going to tell a couple stories. Is that okay? I like stories. I got ADD. I need pictures. In fact, we started our church. Part of our mission statement was this. It's for a church with people with ADD. We hand out free coloring books. We use the C-Spot Run Bible. See Jesus. Go Jesus. Go. Uh, just short attention spans. Uh, anyway, <laughs> so... When I first started in ministry in Tulsa, Oklahoma, I came from Church on the Move. Many of you know some of the background of Church on the Move and, and um, our relationship uh, started with Pastor out of that. But I, I started as a junior camp counselor back in 1989. I was going into my first year of Bible school there in Tulsa. And the job was basically you started Sunday afternoon, the kids showed up, and you were with them from like, Six in the morning to like midnight till Saturday. Then you had to clean the bunk after the parents picked them up. You got to leave at like three or four o'clock in the afternoon. You ran to Tulsa, talked to real people, had your mom cook you a meal, and then you went back. And like that was, I worked 80, it was 120 hours a week. Here's what I got paid, $60 a week, $60 a week. Now the problem was they had a snack bar. And you could charge at the snack bar. Well, when your kids are all sitting there with money from mom and dad, they're eating Snickers bars and eating all this stuff, and you've been working 120 hours a week, you need carbs, you need stuff to keep going. And so I would just charge at the snack bar. When I was done working 120 hours a week with mostly demon-possessed children who had never heard of a thing called of a spanking, owed them money. I worked all summer, and I had to write them a check. Look, if it was money that kept me motivated in ministry, I would have never made it past that. Well, I was dumb enough to do a second summer, but I got a pay raise. I got to $100 an hour, <laughs> and I was down uh, building these, these ramps with these fence post diggers uh, like, and all it is is rock in Oklahoma. So I'm digging with my friends, and we're building these ramps. And Pastor Willie George, the pastor of the church, and who, the one who oversaw that camp, he saw that I was passionate and that I worked hard. Everybody else is taking breaks. You know, everybody else is slacking off and nobody's watching. And man, I'm just working from sunup to sundown, just working as unto the Lord. Whatever you do, do it all your heart as unto the Lord. Why? Because it's a calling, and whatever you do unto him, he will reward you. Well, I didn't find this out till later, but Willie George in a staff meeting said this to his staff. He goes, the next job that opens up at Church on the Move, Eric gets it, no matter what it is. Well, one of the pastors on staff came out of that staff meeting and told me that. So I'm, I'm, in my, I'm going into my second year of Bible school now, and I'm thinking, man, this is amazing. Like, I'm, I'm, I'm a second year Bible school student. Like, I'm gonna be an executive pastor. I'm like 19. I'm gonna be on pastoral staff. I'm gonna be preaching and prophesying. Like, glory to God. That hard work paid off. So I got the phone call. Hey, you won't believe it, but we just had a staff member resign, and, and we got a job for you. I'm like, praise God, bring it. They go, yeah, the, the maintenance supervisor resigned, and Pastor Willie George said, give it to Eric. And I go, could you go back and double check that? I think it was a pastoral position Pastor Willie was talking about, because I'm anointed. I got a call. Okay, no, pretty sure it's maintenance. So I said, I'll do it. So I took that job. Okay, now I got a huge pay raise. I went to $1,200 a month. So I was in Bible school half day. I would go up to the church, and I would work from one o'clock Till about one o'clock in the morning, I would get home, I would do my schoolwork, I'd wake up in a puddle of drool with ink smeared on my face, and I'd be in Bible class at 7.30. I did that six days a week, and I volunteered Wednesday night youth ministry, I volunteered Sunday, Saturday bus ministry, I volunteered Sunday youth ministry, 
I made $4 an hour. I added it up. After 80 hours a week, I made $4 an hour, and it was the greatest thing I had ever done. Why? Because it's a calling. You got a problem. You got toilet issues. I'm your huckleberry. This is, this is true. What better place to practice preaching than to a toilet? Like, people have issues, toilets have issues. And there are a lot of the same issues. They're both dirty. I would go in there and I'd preach. I would preach. I would prophesy. I'd cast the devil out of the toilet. I, I prayed. I said, Lord, I pray for anybody that's sitting on one of these. If they're having any medical complications, I say, be thou loosed and let go in the name of Jesus. I said, Lord, if it's too loose, whatever we bind on earth will be bound in heaven. Lord, I bind it in the name of Jesus if it's too loose. I go, if they're not saved, I pray by the time they're done, the power of the Holy Ghost will get all over them, they get saved. We had revival in the bathroom at Church on a Move. I, I think Jesus was up in heaven one day. He looked down and said, Dad, check this guy out. He's weird. <laughs> Gabe, check, see if this guy's sniffing toilet chemicals or something. Well, we're not looking because I don't know, but I can use this kid. <laughs> if it's a calling, nothing can talk you out of it. Ask Jonah. <laughs> he tried to get out of a calling. But when it's a career... Anything can get you out of a career. One of the greatest challenges I've, I have as a pastor is staff members who get called. You invest all this time, you put all this stuff to equip them and raise them up, and they get called to a better opportunity. And I'm not saying God didn't call people out to better opportunities. I've, I've seen the hand of God, and I've blessed that, and I've sent and released so many. I've planted churches. I mean, we've done all kinds of great things because you see the legitimate call of God. But I've also noticed about two-thirds who thought they were called wasn't necessarily a call. It was an opportunity. Hey, you want to know you're called? This is what you rarely see. Uh, remember Philip the evangelist that God called him to wait on tables? And then he went to Samaria and revival breaks out? Do you know what? God called him to go to the desert to talk to one person. You know you're called when it's backwards. When God calls you from something great to something small. I never have a guy come up to me and go, man, pastor, I feel called. God's doing great things here. I'm going nowhere because God called me. That's free. Just put that in your litmus test next time you feel called. I'm going to share a personal story, and I'm not a name dropper ever. In fact, rarely have I ever used the name when I tell the story but I'm just going to do it because we're family, okay? Is that, is that cool? And because I want to. So, thank you. <laughs> because it adds some context. We don't follow opportunity. We follow God. Satan can manufacture opportunities. And usually Satan will send his best before God sends his. Just free nugget there. So I was about 33 years old. I was still in 180. At that time, I was an associate youth pastor at 180, and I was doing so much. Um, I preached all the national youth pastor holidays, which were anyone, the senior pastor, youth pastor didn't want to preach. So 4th of July, when you have four kids, Thanksgiving, Christmas, holidays, pretty much national associate youth pastor. Pretty much you just did anything nobody else wanted to do. Everybody's on the ski trip, except the associate youth pastor, right? <laughs> we'll talk about that tomorrow. And um, so I'm 33, and I'm like, I, I, I'm ready to like do big things for God. I had leadership in me, and I, I wanted to lead something. I wanted to build something. I'm a builder in, in my nature, and, and I, I want to, man, I'm ready to, I got to do something. So I go to the senior youth pastor, and I go, look, man, I, I just, I know there's so much more leadership in me, and I got to do more. I, I feel stuck. I feel plateaued. Give me more. And this is what he, so he said to me. He goes, Eric, he goes, in about seven years, I'm going to be ready to hand this youth group 180 over to you in about seven years. Just, just hang in there. I go, seven years? I'm going to be like 40. <laughs> Which, you know, like when you're 33, that's like dinosaur. I'm 52 now, and that's nothing. I'm like spring chicken. <laughs> Pastor's just a teenager. Like, I mean, like, we're young. And I went back, and I was just like, God, this ain't fair. I'm like, I'm pouring my life into this. Like, I would write the sermon, and he would come and get my sermon and go preach it. I go, that ain't fair! 
Like, at least tell somebody I wrote it. Like, I got no credit for nothing. And, and I'm like, God, this isn't right. I'm 33. I'm in my prime. I need to build something. So I get a phone call one day from the largest church in America at that time. And the guy calls me and goes, hey, Eric, we have been listening to your leadership teachings. We've been watching you. And we want you to come be our youth pastor. Largest church in America. So in my heart, I just had the inward witness of the Holy Spirit that I was not done at Church on the Move. I knew it. I knew it. The moment he said those words, bam, I'm not done. So I said, I'm flattered. I'm completely honored, but I'm not done here. God hasn't released me. I I still have an assignment here. Thank you. He goes, all right. The next week, he calls me. Eric, man, we've been talking. We need you to be our youth pastor. I go, man, I, I, I told you again, I'm, I'm, not, I'm not done here. Three weeks later, he calls me. Hey, look, look, look. Just come do some leadership training for us and just come speak to our leaders. And I go, look, if I come there, you can't offer me a job. Oh, yeah, okay, okay. So I get there, and the guy takes me over to the side of, of, of the campus they were currently at, and there's a building, a massive building there. And it's an abandoned building, but it's a very nice building. On the side of the building, it says Lawson Company. It has my last name on it, Lawson Company. That, that, that's what it was, Lawson. Some Lawson family member I'd need to know owned that. And they said, Eric, if you'll be our youth pastor, we will buy this building. We will give you any budget you want. You can hire anybody on the planet you want because we want a youth group of 10,000, and we think you're the guy to do it. Okay. So I get back to, 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 to my house. Oh, there's one other thing. So they're moving into the compact center, Houston, Texas. And they take me to the Houston Rockets. We're watching a Rockets game. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah, man. We're watching them lose. And, 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 uh, <laughs> So, uh, and so they go, hey, Joel Osteen's going to be down there preaching. And imagine this whole stadium full of people. And he can't preach all those services, and we think you're the guy to fill in for him when he's not preaching. Now, my boss just told me I got seven years more to be the associate youth pastor writing his sermons, preaching to 20,000 people, 10,000 youth group. Not rocket science, people. If you have a career, but if you got a calling. So, I got to have dinner with Joel. I don't ever tell people that, but I'm just, it's fun. I got to at least once. I've held it in for 20 years. <laughs> so I'm sitting down with Joel. Eric, we, we just, Victoria and I, we, we just want you to know. If you, if you come be our youth pastor, Praise Jesus. Wonderful. You're a winner. But if that's not what Jesus has for you, you're still a winner. And that's okay. We, we just love you. Genuine, genuinely nicest guy I've ever met. So I get on the phone to call for confirmation from friends. Now remember this. You can always find somebody who will tell you what you want to hear. And it's a mistake when you pick up the phone to call a friend before you take a knee to talk to God. So I called all kinds of different friends in America, and this is what they said. Eric, you're an idiot. (laughs) Idiot. Now I'm going to spell it out. Idiot. If you don't take this job. So I go to God. Lord, you heard my friends. They're pretty smart people. 
And they said I'd be an idiot if I didn't take this job. Jesus? What do, you want, what, what, what do you think? Okay. I have found this out in my life that when I don't have time to pray, it's because I don't want to hear what God has to say. Now, that's never happened. It's a hypothetical scenario. But <laughs> the Holy Spirit brought a verse to my mind in Proverbs, and it was this. The integrity of the upright will guide them. Now, our church was in an $8 million capital campaign for the 180 Center that we were building, and I was the right-hand guy to the youth pastor. And in the situation we were in, it would have hurt the church had I stepped out. And so I just knew that I knew that I knew, and God just witnessed in my heart that I wasn't to take that job. And I remember picking up that phone to call him, and literally I go, okay, I, know, I think I feel like I know what Abraham felt like taking brother Isaac, little baby Isaac, up to that mountain. And so I picked up that phone, and I, I did this with tears. They were manly tears, but it was tears nonetheless, all right? So don't be disappointed, Delta team. I, they were very manly tears. <laughs> and so I, I remember putting, put, I just said, God's called me here. I'm not released from here. And when I hung up that phone, I'm like, it's kind of like, I'm, I'm, I'm getting ready. I'm like, Lord, I'm getting ready to hang up the phone. Where's the ram? Where's the, where's the, I've seen your heart. Now you can say yes. Yes, oh, hang on. God just spoke to me. I'm supposed to come. It was a test. I passed. Okay, I'll be right there. Oh, by the way, they offered me like 50% more money, double basically than what I was making. By the way, incredibly horrible career move. But I don't have a career. I got a calling. Now, I hung up that phone and I wept for an hour. <laughs> and I just had a peace in my heart that God said, I'm gonna honor you because you honored me and you put me first. So my pastor, Pastor Willie George, I don't know if I've ever really even shared this story publicly. Don't tell him I said it just in case he would be upset. I don't, I don't know. But <laughs> so, uh, we're, we're, we're still great friends today. And, uh, so I, I get this call from Pastor George. He calls me into his office. That, that's scary. Like, because normally it's not like, hey, just come hang out, all right? And uh, so he calls me to his office, and he's sitting there, and my, my youth pastor boss is sitting there, and he goes, <clears throat> Doc, because he's from West Texas. That's how you talk out West. Doc, so I heard uh, Brother Osteen offered you a job. I said, yes, sir. Hmm. Now, I heard you turning them down. I said, yes, sir. Why'd you do that? <laughs> so here's what I said. I said, Pastor, because I'm called here. I'm called to serve your vision. God hasn't released me. He goes, hmm. What do you offer you? <laughs> True story. Now, don't you ever leverage this with your pastor. This was a personal story that you cannot leverage with any other boss. This was a God thing. It's not a word for you. So <clears throat> I tell him. He goes, wow. You turned him down? I go, yes, sir. He goes, hmm. All right, here's what we're going to do. I'm going to pay you that. And he goes, he's no longer the youth pastor. He's going to be my associate, and you're the new youth pastor. God did in a moment what I could have never done in a thousand lifetimes. Now here's what was so important. It wasn't a raise, it wasn't the money, it wasn't that I got to be the youth pastor. That wasn't any, anything that really mattered. What mattered was what God did in that next two years of me being at 180, he birthed in me everything I needed for what we have in St. Louis as a church today. God birthed that vision into me. He showed me his plan. He gave me the blueprint for the tens of thousands of people that we're reaching. He birthed it into me in that two-year period. And I would have missed it had I followed an opportunity rather than follow the call of God. I'm going to close with one more story. Is that okay? Does anybody have any regrets? Lift up your hands. 
Okay, seven honest people. Uh, you online, I know you're honest. I see your hands. Um, look around the room. Look at everybody who has amnesia. Because only people with amnesia <laughs> don't have regrets. Let me tell you something you're never going to regret. You're never going to regret being part of this church and being part of the vision, part of the mission, and part of the calling to bring in the harvest. You're never going to get to the end of your life going, what was I thinking? Volunteering and serving and tithing and giving and working in the youth ministry and working in the kids ministry. What was I thinking? I could have been at the beach. You will never regret it. This is an evangelism conference. So I'm going to close with an evangelism story. One of the clearest pictures that God ever gave me of what heaven will be like. I was at a conference in Atlanta, and there was 30,000 church leaders all over the world that gathered to go to this church conference. And it was a good conference. You know, like they had good speakers, like big name speakers. But I don't remember a thing they said. Do you know what I remember? I remembered an infomercial. That's what I remember. And it changed my life. They had a young man from Africa who just graduated college. And they were interviewing this young man about having been a Compassion International child sponsored. So this young man's telling his story about escaping his country, this village, where his entire family had been killed with genocide. And he just by a miracle escaped. And he stumbled into some village that found him and got him connected into a safe place. And he was sponsored by a man in Canada who would write him letters. And he was a Compassion International child. And he built a friendship with his Canadian man. And this man led him to Christ through the letters that he would send this young boy growing up. And then somewhere as he got older, he, he came to America and he got to go to college and he was getting ready to go back to do ministry in his country. Like, there's not a dry eye in the place. Like, you're just like, oh my gosh. Like, whoa. You're weeping when you hear this story. But this is what forever changed my life. They asked the man. They said, have you ever met your compassion sponsor? He said, no. What does that man mean to you? And he just began to sob as he talked about how this man changed his life, how this man led him to Christ, how this man is the reason he is where he's at today. And he goes, wow, sounds like this man's really made a difference to you. He goes, I have no words to explain it. And then he asked this question, would you like to meet him? Silence. He said, yeah. And in the silence of that stadium, a light shone on the other side of the stage. And there was his sponsor. Both of the men ran to the center of the stage and they just fell on one another and wept and wept. 15 minutes, the whole place just wept. And Jesus tapped me on the shoulder and said, Eric, that's what heaven's going to be like. There's going to come a day because you serve here, because you give here, you let God use you in his harvest field, that you'll have your moment before the throne of God where the tens of thousands of people that you touched, that you'll have your moment to weep with people that you've never met, you've never seen, before the throne of God, where you'll be rewarded for what you give of your time, your talent, and your treasure for the harvest. Heavenly Father, we thank you for the harvest. 2,000 years ago, you said the field is ripe unto harvest. 
If it was ripe 2,000 years ago, it's bursting ripe today. That we're living in the end times. We're living in the days of the latter rain. That the greatest harvest the world has ever seen is yet to come. And we thank you that you've positioned this church, New Harvest, to be on the forefront, on the cutting edge of bringing in the harvest of lost souls, the harvest of hurting people. God, we thank you that the greatest days of revival, the greatest days of souls coming to Christ are not in the past. As great as the past was, it's nothing compared to what the future of this church is. It's nothing compared to what you're going to do in this church and in this city. Thank you that you're raising up laborers. Thank you that you're ejecting people to be part of the harvest. I pray for those that are in the harvest, that they would be refreshed, that they would be renewed, that they would be recommitted, rekindled, refired with the eternal perspective of that day that they'll hear, well done, good and faithful servant. At that day, well, they'll get to weep with the tens of thousands of people that they touched by partnering with this church. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.